The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. Are you ready? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Wave Sports Saturday night. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you till midnight tonight. And as I said at the beginning of the show, just some quick programming notes. Due to indirectly due to Raider football, we will be off next Saturday night, but back on Sunday. And then off following Saturday night, but back on Sunday, and then off the following weekend as we move into September and get you ready for NFL football. So just keep that in mind when you're looking for Heat Wave Sports. For your weekend dose of top, I'd say the top, Tommy, the top sports show in the country, especially on the West Coast. Yeah, I don't think anybody could hold a candle to us. Yeah, sure. I'll go with that. I think that's very fair. Completely unbiased. Non-biased opinion, yes. So you kind of opened the can. I'm going to expose it now when you brought up the, the, the NL MVP race and I think it's a good a good discussion point in that you said the the field was wide open in the National League with the injuries to Degrom and Tatis, hundred percent accurate. The field is not wide open in the American League, Tom. Right? It's it's pretty much been a two horse race most of the season, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go this direction on it. And um, first off, I, I like both these guys. Don't get me wrong. I, Otani plays on my te- one of my teams. I think Vladdy's unbelievable. I can't wait to see what the next 10, 12 years of his playing career are going to look like. And, you know, I dab, I dabble a little bit, Tom, in, in sports card collecting. And, you know, during the pandemic, I went out and just, just in my own mind, I, not knowing what the world was going to happen with the world, right? I always assumed we were going to get baseball again. But I was able to grab uh, Otani, Guerrero, Soto, Acuna, Tatis. I was able to grab the rookie cards, graded rookie cards, by the way, at what I thought was a, a a reasonable price and you know it's it's looking like that that's going to be a pretty good decision on my point i just i bought them i put them away and there you go there's the kids college fund hopefully in one day but really when you look at these two and you're talking about two guys on teams that kind of the same right kind of the same record they're, they're sitting there uh 156 wins 159 wins uh fringe playoff right now and then you go to the stats right we always look at statistics well, home runs, Otani plus three, uh, RBI, Guerrero plus three. Batting average is a significant difference here in Guerrero, three sixteen. Tom to Otani's two sixty, or excuse me, Otani's two sixty nine. Otani way more strikeouts than Guerrero, but yet the prevailing thought is, and I, and I, and you always say, well, you know, when the sports books put odds up on something, it kind of tells you the direction of what you should be looking at. The latest MVP race odds I saw had Otani a minus 600 favorite to win. Guerrero was plus 500. Yet statistically, right, Tom? You, the argument is Guerrero's stats are better, yet he probably doesn't have a chance to win this unless Otani just takes a massive, massive fade here in the next 60 days. Yeah, look, I don't even think it comes down to a fade because, I, you know, I think Otani pitching-wise has done all really need to do. I, I think it's the generation we're in. And the generation we're in doesn't 
care about batting average. And that's the one thing that Vlad has over. Look, they're both going to end with over 50 home runs. What's the difference between 54 and 55? I don't really know. You know, I mean, it doesn't really matter. They're both going to have, you know, 120-plus RBI. If Vlad gets to 135, 140, and Otani's at 125, all right. They're both going to have 120 runs, you know, or, or whatever that is. But batting average is the giant separator. And here's the thing. It could become pretty large. The problem that Vlad has is the pitching. So if this was a non-pitcher, I'm going to tell you, listen, Vlad, Vlad, Vlad's going to do it. Vlad's going to win um, just based on because the batting average is different. Vlad has a problem, though, because there's two things that could tip the scale on Vlad's favor. Number one would be, all right, Vlad, go out there and win the triple crown. And just as a sports writer, um, your mentality and talking to sports writers, they're basically saying, look, this is one of the greatest uh, historical events ever. That we, there's no way we cannot vote for Otani, no matter what he does here at the M, even if he hits a complete wall, because how do we not vote for a guy that's doing things that we've never seen since Babe Ruth? And the, I mean, the narrative has been written. But if Vladimir Guerrero goes out there and wins the Triple Crown, there are a lot of baseball writers out there and a lot of voters out there that will stop and pause and say, how do we not give the MVP to a guy that wins the Triple Crown? They're going to force that issue, Tim. How do we not? The problem is he comes one percentage point behind for you know, on batting average. They're not going to give it to him. He's got to win the Triple Crown. Or, or Tim, there is an or. He should. He, he's got to be batting, you know, a, a, a crazy batting average number. Look, the difference between two seventy and three twenty, which is where they are. That's fifty points. That's massive. Think about it: a three hundred or a two fifty hitter, a two fifty hitter or a two hundred hitter. It is massive, but it's not big enough. It's not big enough to overcome the pitching. Now, I will say this. This can actually swing in Guerrero's favor, which is why I don't think he's completely dead. Now, look, I said months ago he's completely dead because I just don't think Altani's going to hang him up today, you know, and hit a wall. But when you really break it down, Tim, let's, let's talk here. Where does Guerrero have to get to to kind of overtake Otani so eye-poppingly? Well, at the time, Otani was hitting about 288, 278 or so, and I said, you know, if he dips into the 250 range, Watch out. And, and it's not out of question. Look, he's at 269 right now. Is it crazy to think that Otani has a rough second half and drops 10 points? That's all he's got to do is drop 10 points for the year the rest of the year. And all of a sudden, 259? That doesn't look too good. And is it crazy to think that Guerrero could get into that for that upper strategy? See, I think Guerrero's got to hit 340 or above. And, and Otani's got to hit into the 250s. If you're looking at like a 90-point difference, I think Guerrero could suddenly, all of a sudden, kind of say, you know, you got something here. So do I see a path for Guerrero to win the MVP? I do. I can see a path. He's got to win triple crown. Or Otani's got to drop about 10 points in batting average, 10 to 15 points, and Guerrero's got to add about 15 points in his batting average. It's not crazy to think. But I think six to one makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, you brought up the pitching part of it, and again, we're talking about a guy I like to watch. He's a, I'm a fan, fan of my team. 
so let's, let's flip the, the, the script here. If, say, Otani was, I don't know, Tom, uh, say he finished 18-7 and seven with an ERA of slightly under three as a pitcher, but his batting statistics weren't there, would we even be having this conversation? Vlad would be the MVP, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the the problem. Basically, we're saying is that just just be a mediocre pitcher, and, you know, um, we're going to have to force the award. We're talking about a guy guy winning the MVP, or at least chasing the MVP right now, and he doesn't have a prey. I mean, he doesn't have a – he's not even close. And don't sit back and tell me. I know everybody sit back. Oh, well, you know what? You know, what Otani's doing pitching-wise. Uh, Otani's a valuable pitcher, but here's the crazy thing, Tim. He's not even going to get a sniff. He, I, I don't know if he's going to get a vote for Cy Young, right? I mean, he's not going to get a, He's not doing anything Cy Young-worthy. Now, what he does in two parts of his game needs to be taken a look at. But he's just got just under a three ERA. You know, he's got a 6-1 you know, record, which is very nice. He's only started 16 games. He's on pace. You know, start 24 games, have about uh, about a, a four ERA. All right. I mean, look, what Otani's doing is nice as a pitcher. It would be very good for Otani to be a number two or three starter. But he's not even going to sniff the Cy Young. So, yeah, this is all about his pitching. If this was a head-to-head battle on batting alone, I don't think it's close. I think Vladimir Guerrero is a six-to-one favorite. I, I, maybe more. I think Vlad is having a marketably better offensive year. Marketably better. But it is about pitching, Tim, and that's what, what it comes down to. It all comes down to what else can he add on the pitching standpoint. And the fact is, he's only got to be mediocre because of what exactly he brings as a package. Right. And it's it, here's the thing. They, pitch, they don't even pitch him every five days. He's going about every sixth or seventh spin through the rotation. Um Look, he's you know I, I saw him again the other the other night. He pitched. Uh, he got into the seventh. He he's throwing a hundred in the seventh. There's no doubt about what he he is 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 great. And six and one two nine three ERA. That's solid. There's no doubt about it. But like you said, that's the only thing that's differentiating them to make him a six to one favorite when his average is is uh you know. 40-something points lower, it's tough for me to, to swallow that, and I, wa- I, I want him to win. I do, but I also know what Vlad brings to the table, and I like watching him as well. It's crazy, and I guess long-term, really, Tom, you know, knock on wood, he can't pitch forever, Tom. There's no way that he can maintain this. At some point, he's just going to have to be a DH right fielder. That's, you know, so we should enjoy it while we can, right, because this can't last forever. See, that's the other thing that Vlad has working against him, as opposed to the rest of the league, right? Is that the, one of the things you can argue um, if you were in the Vlad campus? Hey, man, look, Otani's. Uh, what does he do? He, he's a DH. You can argue that, but you know what? Vlad is a glorified DH too. You know, mm-hmm. if Vlad was out there and he was an, even a serviceable uh, defensive player, or played shortstop, or played catcher, or played center field, you would have an argument here, right? Even you know a. a, a Good fielder. Now, you'd have a, a real big argument on your hands because, look, you, yeah, sure, he pitches, but you know, he's also a DH. So I think that Vlad is one of those unique guys that 
just just by virtue of who he is, is kind of hurting him. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunately the problem. Where this is why where it's Otani's award this year. Think about it like this. Let's just say Otani was in the National League, okay? Um, and you look at what Otani's doing, and and he had to go up against. Some of the names that we were mentioning, Acuna, who plays center field, a, uh, you know, a Tatis, who is a shortstop, albeit a bad defensive shortstop. Uh, if he was going up against uh, a Juan Soto, if he was going up against one of those players that are actually pretty good fielders, I, I think the argument would have been there. But Vlad can't argue the fielding because he's not a very good fielder himself. I, th- I think it's safe to say, and I'm, I'm by no means standing on a cliff here saying this, Tom, is that Vlad Guerrero will win an MVP one day. It just probably won't be this season. No, he's got to, he's got to win the, the, he's got to win the triple crown. And look, if I'm a sports writer and, you know, as, as much as if this is an award that is supposed to be voted on strictly on merit, I also have to look at things, Tim, and, where there's smoke, there's fire kind of situations. Don't you have to look at things and go, it would be bad for the sport for Otani not to win the MVP, and you got to kind of vote for that. You know, at best, I think Vlad is looking at, look, if I win, if I win the Triple Crown, I have an argument. That's what he, he's at best. He's got an argument. What I'm looking at is, you know, he's got to do something historic to make people change their minds. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But uh, I'm not going to be upset that Otani wins, Tommy. Let's just put it that way. Wink, wink, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I have a ticket that Vladimir Guerrero will win the MVP, and I only bet on one MVP this year. It was Vlad Guerrero. Last year, yeah, I told you guys, I had one bet on the MVP. It was Otani. So I guess I know what I'm talking about. I'm just kind of uh, getting a little bad luck here. You know what's sad about that statement is that when you when you said it on the show, I went and bet I bet and bet Guerrero too. So I'm sitting on that same ticket that you are. Um, so I don't. I'm torn. I really am. And it's not because I have a ticket on Guerrero. I like Vlad Guerrero Jr. a lot. I've I've been intrigued by uh, the process of him coming up as a son of. You know, I was a big Vlad Guerrero Senior fan. So it, it really was fun to watch him kind of move his way up into this position at 22 years of age and be as good as he is. So, yeah, financially, that ticket, I didn't put a lot on it, Tom, but I wouldn't mind it hitting. But at the same time, if it's going to be Otani, then, look, either way, it's good for the game, I think. And um, it's it was fun. It's fun to watch. You know, what they're going to be able to do here through the next almost two months, it should be fun, really fun to watch. And I, I agree. I think both hit 50, and that's that in itself is going to be great to see. Tim, is there any way the Angels get back into Man, I, I, I kind of went over this, too, in, um, in the top of the show. They, they've won two of the last three series. They, they, the guys are coming back, right? Rendon's about back. Trout, I think they're just being cautious, but he, he should be ready to go. Can they put it Joe together? And Adele's, yeah, he's there. So it's, I just don't know if the arms are going to be able to, to, to last. It's crazy. It's a patchwork uh rotation and and they got a couple youngsters in there that can throw heat but at the same time they're getting batted around but you know what tom regardless of what happens tomorrow they 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 won the series versus the dodgers they just won the colorado series you know they won the texas series so 
can they catch Oakland? That's I don't know. It's six game difference. It's it's going to be interesting. Well, look, you know, I just told you that I didn't feel that terrible about the Yankees being six games back. You know, people in Cincinnati feel like they have a shot against Milwaukee. I, I'm not writing this team completely off. Yeah. I think I think it, yeah we'll see they're going they need the guys back though Th- those teams your offense is set up Cincinnati's offense set up the Angels definitely need to put those two big bats back in the middle of that lineup and, and let it get going because then you know you put Trout in that back in that lineup and Otani here's the thing too I guess we kind of just didn't speak on it is that Otani's done it without the protection of Trout behind him that changes when Trout gets back in that lineup which also changes when Rendon gets back in that lineup so you know th- things could be look very well here in say 30 days time tom you know here's the thing again how long when do you pull the plug on on, on otani pitching this year and for if you're the angels if you pull the plug in the pitching how much of a negative effect will that have on his hitting i think that that's a major question because mm-hmm. we're talking about otani hitting a wall and everything else there's there's also the idea maybe instead of hitting a wall Maybe they just won't continue to pitch him if they keep falling out of this thing. Yeah, I, I think they would shut him down too. I, I agree. There's no need to. If you're not in the in it to to make the playoffs, if you're eliminated, there's no need to to risk him blowing his arm out, right, Tom? I mean, really, that's what we, we had just talked about. What's the long term usage of Shohei Otani as a major league pitcher? And I think the shelf life has to be short. You just cannot risk it. No, I will say. That's another reason why they might give him the MVP this year anyway, Tim. You know, even if he shut it down tomorrow, they might give it to him because they're going, we may never see this again. You know, we may never see Otani again because he does have a litany of history of injuries, and you never know uh, when this is going to be that one kind of flash in the pan situation. And we know from the Mike Trout years, they like to give it to somebody uh, who's the story more than actual statistics. I think they're going to look at Vlad and go, yeah, you, you're going to win another MVP in your lifetime. Showing Otani, this is the year of Otani. He may never do it again. Tom, let's move over to the NBA where free agency kicked off and we saw some big names change teams. We saw some big names stay where they were. And we're still in the midst of, of free agency. We saw that the uh, Knicks picked up Kemba Walker, one-year deal. But what would you say... If if I said Tom, give me your top two teams via the free agent market as far as who did the best. Don't say the Lakers either. Uh, I, I would put the Lakers as doing the worst job. I think the Lakers had a miserable free agency period. So no, they would be on my worst list. My best list. Look, I think the Bulls made a lot of improvement. I think the Bulls are quietly building something nice there with Ball and Levine and what they're doing. It's under the radar. But I really like the moves that the Bulls made. Uh, you mentioned the, the Knicks with Kemba Walker. I, I think they've had a stagnant offseason because I think that they're preparing themselves for something huge, and that something huge is Damian Lillard. Um, so you can't really go there. I'll, I'll say that the Bulls had a very good um, free agency period here. Uh, you know, and look, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's the Suns, even though. Look, I don't love CP3. I think the guy's a loser, and he has been his entire career. Um, I think that you know they the Suns lost out because they had to sign an old man to a longer contract. Sure, that stinks. 
but they got the guy that they had to get. There's no way they could have looked at their fan base, their people in that locker room, uh, and say, we let CP3 go. So just the fact that they got him back was pretty huge. And we never look at it. When you're grading free agency, you never look at the guys that came back to your team. You always look at the new additions. I'm going to say CP3 going to the Suns makes them a viable championship contender again next year. Um, and if he would have left, I think I would have had the Suns go, going, you know what, they're going to be battling for a playoff spot. So i got to give it to the Suns, but I really do like the moves that the Bulls made. By the way, I also like the draft that the Bulls had because I thought their second-round guy should have been a top-15 player. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Bulls, great off-season moves. Ball, DeMar DeRozan came in as well. I think they're a they playoff team now. Right? Yeah. I mean, no, I think absolutely. the Bulls made themselves a playoff team. Absolutely. And, and you know what? The more we talk about Chris Paul, here's the funny thing about Chris Paul. And I was, I was it's funny when he signed, uh, when he turned down the, the first option, and it was about, around $40 million, right? We were kind of laughing about it. And I was like, yeah, there's something about this. Obviously, he's playing for that long term. He's got one, he wants that one big contract, right? And I don't think anybody else was offering that. And he kind of pigeonholed Phoenix into this, like you just said. He got four years, 120. So he's only getting 30 million a year. But Tom, from what I read, teams weren't offering four; they were offering ones. So I think he he really played the market well, and he he forced Phoenix into doing this. You know, at the end of the day, he ended up being the smart one of the bunch. Yeah, very much so. I mean, he yeah he leveraged what he had. Look, I'm a big name personality. I'm the leader of a young team. I'm the veteran leader of a young team. And I just took your team further than your team's pretty much ever gone, right? I mean, you know, I had almost as much success as any team in the history of the franchise. Your team cannot let me go. I mean, Chris Paul, as a businessman, was fantastic. Chris Paul, throughout his career as a businessman, is sitting on piles of money laughing at me criticize him as a player, right? But that's what he does. You have to, I look at, at when I'm talking about free agency and the signings and additions and whatnot, where is the team before time and where is the team afterwards? The Phoenix Suns, without Chris Paul, are battling to make the playoffs. With Chris Paul, they might be the best team in the West. I, I mean, it's just that simple. So, I, And that's why, again, I like the, the Bulls. The Bulls were not a playoff team. Now they are a playoff team. You have to see from where are they going to where they are. And that's why I said, Tim, I thought the Lakers had a miserable offseason. Um, getting Russell Westbrook was a giant mistake. Getting old men on their team that don't fit the team, they're going to have a problem playing defense. The, the, the problem areas on the Lakers, you know, we were just talking about the Yankees. The Yankees looked at their team, Brian Kessler looked at their team at the trading deadline, and he said, okay, what do we need? We have a deficiency at defense. We need some defensive guys. We need some guys that get on base. But, old boy, more than anything else, we need a left-handed back. They went out, they got two left-handed bats, they got guys with on-base percentage, and they got good defensive players. Okay, you fixed your problems. The Lakers looked at their team before free agency, and they said, we have a couple of problems. We're an old team that can't stay healthy, and we're an old team that can't stay healthy. We have shooting problems and defensive problems. So what do they do? They got guys that can't shoot the ball, guys that are old, and guys that have no problem playing, playing nothing but offense, and they don't want to play defense. They just compounded their problems. They are his historically old, they are banged up, and just because LeBron now is his friend because he can afford them because they stink now, all of a sudden people are excited about the Lakers. I think this was a terrible offseason for the Lakers. Hey, we're old, we can't shoot, and we can't play defense, so let's get Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, 
Wayne Ellington. Let's bring all these guys in, and that'll solve the problem. They they signed literally Tom. They signed like four shooting guards in the free agent in the free agent period. So uh, it's it's crazy for me to think. Oh, and by the way, the the biggest signing right or the trade or whatever it was with Westbrook, you're gonna bring that type of attitude into that. You know, it's that's a recipe for disaster if you're asking me, and quickly. Oh yeah, and, and here's the thing: they can't stay healthy, Tim. So you know. It won't be LeBron's fault because, well, LeBron got injured. And it won't be AD's fault because AD got injured. And it's going to fall on Westbrook's shoulders. And it's going to be, well, Westbrook's the problem. When he's the only guy that's going to be out there, he's going to be playing with a bunch of geriatrics out there trying to get these things done. <laughs> right. right. So you liked Phoenix and um, Chicago. I like Chicago a lot, too. I thought, and tell me what you think about this one, I, I thought maybe Miami kind of surprised a lot of people and when you look at miami two years ago bubble-ish situation we we both did well betting on the heat that that year i think they kind of took a little bit of a step back last year barely made the playoffs you know they had obviously injury issues but they go out and pick up veteran point guard kyle Lowry. i know he's a little on the older end tom but to run an offense that eric spolster wants to run i think Tyler Hero is not set yet to be that guy. I don't think Oladipo, who they re-signed as well, not ready to be that man. Duncan Robinson was a great re-signing. You still got Butler there. They picked up P.J. Tucker from uh, the world champion Bucks, which I like that move a lot as far as the the, de- the defense and the, the grittiness there. I liked what the Heat did a lot, and, and I think you'll see that next season as they'll be one of the top teams in the East again. Yeah, but did they do enough? You know, again, let's talk about moving positions. And we're talking mm-hmm. about moving positions. What were they before that deal, Tim? What were they? Um, what were they? I'd say probably at best a four seed in the East. Okay. I would say, right. I would say, you know, clearly, I think we have clearly the Bucks, um, Philly, and the Nets are one, two, three, right? Yeah. So right. at best they were a four seed. After this deal, at best they're a four seed. Yeah, they're they're yeah four seed, right? That's why I can't give them too much credit because I like Miami and I get it. You know, they made some decent moves, but the, this is how I judge things like the the trading deadline, the free agency deadline, and everything else. Is where was your team before you made these moves? Where was your team afterwards? The Miami Heat were in the top five conversation, maybe uh, like you said, the ceiling is a four before they made these moves. Now that they made these moves. The ceiling is still a four, right? I mean, they're still a top-five team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks were better than them. So, you know, you made nice moves, but you didn't do anything to move the needle for me. Could they move the needle, though? I mean, if if they went and got Restbrook in a trade, would that move the needle to being a top-three team in the East? I don't know. No, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. The move that could make you there is Damian Lillard. I think Lillard walks into a team like Miami or walks into a team like the Knicks they could overtake Philly because of the fear and sheer factor of that, we know. And Bees can't stay healthy, and if Ben Simmons is out of town, right? Mm-hmm. They could overtake Philly. You could also overtake Milwaukee, because I don't know what Milwaukee's going to be coming off of a championship. They don't know that, right? The hunger sometimes goes away. So, uh, look, I think anybody that gets Damian Lillard, I think he's the guy. He's the guy that can swing this pendulum. That's why I said to you, even with the Knicks right now, the Knicks are sitting here where I think they're the fifth best team in the East. 
Um, they could be the fourth best team in the East. They could be the eighth best team, right? They're in that area. They got Kemba Walker. All right, it's a nice little addition. If they got Damian Lillard, we're talking about can they be a top two team, right? That's the, the pendulum mover there. And you start to look at, well, what do these other guys do? You could have nice little moves, Tim, but if it doesn't improve your team drastically, uh, then I don't think that we can grade it as a great offseason. I'm not arguing with you. I think it was a fine offseason, but I can't be putting it up there with what the Bulls did, which would make them make themselves a non-playoff team to a playoff team. Does Lillard get moved before the season starts? I think he has to. I, I think he has to. I, I just don't understand how all of this can be being said, this much controversy, this much conversation. Um, the teams are starting to maneuver themselves. You see the New York Knicks making maneuvers in their own roster. I don't think that he can play on Portland this year. I, I can't. Look, stranger things have happened. I'm not going to say it's 100%, but I'm a, I'm a good 75% that he has to play for Portland. Yeah, and you know what's funny is it literally so the so the you had the free agency, you had the draft, you had the Olympics. It's August seventh. These guys are going to camp like thirty days from now, Tom. There's, the off season is about over. So if it's going to be happy, or you know if they're if if Lillard's going to be happy, it needs to take place here. And is there a chance that you know we, you talk about the Knicks? Could could Philadelphia be on that radar? You know, there's a lot of places that this could happen, but um, it has to be done. I'd say in the next 30 days, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is. And here's the thing with Damian Lillard: he wanted to wait until the Olympics are over. Olympics are over. To me, this is open season. If Damian Lillard isn't signed by the time we talk again, Tim, uh, and that that means this week immediately. If that's not you know done, I'm going to start getting into a position where you're going, okay. Now he only got three weeks before training camp opens up. I don't know if he necessarily gets moved. Yeah. Tom Barton, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports. Take our final time out here on a Saturday night. When we come back, Tom, we've only got time for probably one, so I'll give you the choice. You want to do Mac or you want to do AAC? Let's talk, let's talk, the, let's talk the AAC. Uh, okay. We'll get right into that. AAC Conference. On deck, Heatwave Sports back after this. Thirteen forty. Hey, this is Darnell Jefferson, tailback. Ray Griffin, starting tailback. Yeah, I know. That's why they recruited me. The two boys that recruited before you are washing cars now. You better start strengthening your wrist. <laughs> this guy's kind of funny. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barden and Tim Unglesby. Here we go, Tommy. In twenty-one days, college football will kick off August twenty-eighth. So we're going to start our college football previews tonight. And just a preview for tomorrow, Tom. You're going to love this. Tomorrow, looks like we're going to do the MAC, And for all you Rebel fans, the Mountain West Conference tomorrow night, Tom. And we'll throw a third one in there as well. But uh, I know you're psyched up for the Mountain West Conference, my man. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Will we get the uh, the hatred though when when we talk UNLV football? That that's what it's going to come down to. I'm actually kind of intrigued, to be honest with you, uh, about Mount West this year because the prevailing thought is that some of these teams are down. I don't love the fact that they're down. Some of them are, are not so good. But one thing that we do know about UNLV is they're going to be awful. The thing is, how awful can they be? Historically awful this year. That's kind of the watch that we're going to have. Meaning, can they throw up a goose egg, Tim? Yeah, we, you know, when the the season win total came out and it was one, we all kind of laughed, but, you know, and I'm sure we'll go into this in depth tomorrow. We, we, we ran the schedule back, what, three months ago, Tom, and it was tough. It was tough to get that second win. It really was. You know what? I, here, here's uh, my bold take a day early. I think it's tough to get that first win. I don't think Eastern Washington is a layup. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we we definitely both don't have them winning the conference, but we'll see where we we place them record wise tomorrow night. When when you look at the AAC, and generally, you know, I, I've enjoyed watching the football last few years out of this conference. I so I split the conference up into into three uh, into a, a tiers of three because I I just. Um, Look, we'll start at the bottom. This is tier three for me, right, Tom? And jump in on any of these teams you feel something that, that's uh, noteworthy, either as far as maybe a surprise team in this conference or, or may, maybe a money-making opportunity, because we always do want to go back to the, the betting perspective. But tier three for me was uh, South Florida, Tulsa, Tulane, Temple, and Navy. Those, that was the bottom tier in the AAC for me. Let's talk real quick about Navy, because I've been on this team for a while, right? Uh, Ken Nilatomoto, bam, I always nail that, right? He, he's a guy that came out. I, I, I have the utmost respect for him. I've called him the best college coach uh, you know, that nobody knows for year after year after year, right? Uh, they were 3-7, and 3-10 in, in 2018, came back and finished 11-2 and the next year. They don't stay down for long. Okay, and I circled this team and I said, man, oh, three and a half wins was their, their win total they put up. I'm loving it. I'm taking the over. I like everything, right? And this is, I was, I was pumped up. And I like still a lot of the things I like. But I'm going to give you a quote from Ken Nianlatomoto uh, before the year. He said, this is the toughest schedule I've ever had in my coaching career. In my coaching career. Now, they gave up 200 yards per contest last year on the run. Um, so teams that are going to get up can run it to death, you, you assume. They also give up big plays all over the place. Tim, my initial, re, re, my initial reaction was Navy is better than three or four wins. I think they're going to turn it around. I have the utmost respect and confidence in their coach. I was ready to go all in. But if you pull up their schedule and you hear what their head coach talks about about the schedule, you, you can't feel too good about Navy. I think you're right. They probably do have another rough season. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if they wound up pulling it off just because of how good their coach is. Yeah. The, the thing that kept me off Navy of putting them in Tier 2 was that I agree. I think that schedule 3 and 7. Yeah, it, it's... Look, he's not going to say that to try to, to to make people feel sorry for him. It's the truth. But they're better than three wins. 
I got him at five, and five is good enough to put him at the top of tier three. It just doesn't break through into the next tier. And you know what it's going to come down to, Tom, is they're going to have to run the ball, right? And they, they failed. They struggled with that last year, and it wasn't like it was their 11 year when I think they were they were averaging six, seven yards a carry. It got shut down all the way down to almost uh, a little over three. So right there it says everything. If they can run the ball, they, they will be the surprise team coming out of that tier. There's no doubt about it because I think the rest of these teams, Tulsa, Tulane, Temple, and South Florida, I mean, it is what it's going to be, right? Those wins are going to come few and far. They're going to beat up each other. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what about the next tier here, Tim? Tier two for me was East Carolina, SMU, Memphis, and Houston. So we, we know what's left in tier one, but Houston, Memphis, SMU, East Carolina – any surprises out of those four? No, I think people are overrating East Carolina a little bit. This is a line that allowed 23 sacks last year, nine games. That's just, that doesn't make me feel very good, right? Um, mm-hmm. We know what Memphis is. Memphis is going to score. Uh, their top four rushers are back, right? So they're going to be able to run the ball again. They've been retiring people basically for a little while. So, no, I don't see any surprises there. But SMU, yeah. Look, you know, when you look at Sonny Dykes, it's about scoring. They were 17-6 and six the last couple of years. Both, they got SMU back in a bowl game. And they scored, right? There's no doubt about it, they scored, but they, they do lose their quarterback. And that's that's key there. But I guess for them, it's, it's all score or nothing. It is. Um, I will give you this. Look, they definitely have their, uh, their offensive line back, which is huge. But can they stop people? You know, what they give up, about 40 points per game last year. That's, it's a problem. They can't stop anybody, right? Um, you know, so you look at, I'm sorry, 30 points a game last year. So you look at it, they're scoring 40 but giving up 30. I don't know if they can fix that that quickly. I don't know if all of a sudden you just bring in some new guys. I can't bet on teams that don't play defense, Tim. I never have been able to think that they're going to do big things the next year and just on the offensive side of the ball. I like, you know, it's funny. I listen to a lot of podcasts nowadays, and <clears throat> sometimes I listen to, to college football previews because, I don't know, maybe I like throwing myself into a fire of just listening to guys that really don't know what they're talking about. And one of the big strengths, and I know this guy took it exactly from a magazine, Tom. He said one of the big strengths for SMU was they're returning seven defensive starters this year. Seven defensive starters on a team that gave up 31 points a game and finished ninth in conference on third down and stopping the team, you know, allowing the team to gain a first down. They were ninth out of 12 teams. What is How is that a strength? Yeah, you're returning bad players. You know, I, right. I talk about uh, Coastal Carolina this year. They're returning 20 of 22 starters, or, you know, 19 if you count one guy that's kind of bagging. Well, that team lost one game last year. You know, that, that means something. You know, bringing back seven starters from a terrible team just kind of ensures that they're going to be terrible defensive units again. Right. So then there's Houston. You, you know, when when they took Dana Hogerson from West Virginia, everybody was everybody in, in the city of Houston thought that was something that was going to be a big deal, and he has struggled mightily in his two years there so far. And he's done it. Um, you know, look, he, he had to play 
Central Florida and play Cincinnati. Well, we, we you're the schedule guy. You love the schedules, Tommy. And I know you saw Houston doesn't play them this year. Could be an advantage for them. I just don't think they're good enough to, to, to contend with those two teams. So they're not playing them. But at the same time, I, I don't think they're going to run the table. Therefore, they're not going to be in that situation to take advantage of that scheduling quirk. Yeah, they, they missed UCF and Cincinnati, and they return a quarterback that was pretty good last year, right? I mean, you know, they have everything in place. If there's you know, ever going to be um, a new kind of feeling here over the last two years, because they have looked bad over the last two years, there's ever going to be a new feeling. they got everything set up for them. Bring back a quarterback. As a head coach, if you're getting asked, what do you want next year? Give me an easy schedule. I don't, miss, uh, you know, I don't face the two toughest teams in the league. And give me my quarterback back. Um, this is the time to turn it over here in Houston. I think they have a good year based on their schedule. But like you said, no, they're, they're not with the big boys still. Yeah. Tier one, there's only two teams in it, Tom. It's, it's the Bearcats of Cincinnati, and it's Central Florida. Let's start with Central Florida. Gus Malzahn comes over from Auburn. And, and we, all, we know about Gus. Right? Ever since he was a high school coach, uh, Tutoring Mitch Mustaine, I don't know if you remember that name. Mitch Mustaine was his high school quarterback to state titles. Went to went to Auburn with him, and then and then Mustaine ended up transferring out to USC at the time after it didn't work out in Auburn. But Malzahn, that, what his his storybook playbook is score, score, score. I know in Central Florida they love to put the points up on the football. Uh, they put the points up on the scoreboard there. What do you think about Central Florida? Is it business as usual there? They're just going to go out there and, and score. They're going to have a very good year. I actually think that the defense can look better. They gave up like 35 points a game last year, or just under that, uh, which was atrocious for UCF team. Uh, but I think that they're going to be better. The problem is this, is that if you are bringing in new leadership and you're trying to fix a unit that was pretty atrocious, you can do that in some conferences in America. Ladies and gentlemen, the AEAC has a big boy. So UCF will be good enough to be that second or third best team here. But they still have to beat that big team. And when you start looking at can they topple the Cincinnati of, of this conference, you start to find bigger and bigger holes. Bringing a new coaching staff isn't going to let them topple it, not this year. They have Gabriel back at quarterback, Tommy. They, they bring in uh, Jalen Robinson as transfer he had a huge year two years ago huge year last year excuse me after coming in as a transfer so the capability of them scoring it and here's the thing we, we always talk about the scheduling right central florida at notre dame mid-october then follow that up right away with a game against cincinnati it is on their home field but that's a tough month to put in those two top programs like that yeah, and, and again, you just look at the power. And, and most other conferences, I'm going to go, you know what, UCF has enough to, to go get by. I think they could fix their defense and tweak their defense enough to get by. But I am just massively high on Cincy this year. They're one of those teams, like Cincy and Coastal Carolina, I'm going, you know what, if we had an 18 playoff this year, both of them are making it. Yeah. And I think we're, we're both in agreement that Cincinnati wins this conference. They win the ACC, AAC title game, and it's probably going to be against Central Florida for me, Desmond Ritter, the answer in Cincinnati, I think he's going to have a huge senior season. You know, he, he quarterbacked them, Tommy, to almost 40 points a game last year. And I don't see that stopping. And we're only talking about the offense because defensively, Cincinnati's defense was excellent last year as well, under 17 points a game allowed. 
they're they're the top, they're the cream of the crop in the conference. The Central Florida have a chance to upset them, maybe, but if we're talking about they're going to play twice, I believe that Cincinnati wins the conference. I believe they win both of those games. You know, they play a tougher schedule as well out of conference to get ready for it. But um, I, I guess the question I will, I'll pose to you is that if Cincinnati can run the table, what's the discussion point of them getting in this playoff? I think that they have to. Look, their defense is phenomenal. Their offense, like you said, senior-laden quarterback. And here's the thing. They're going to get that opportunity, right? Um, they have road games against Indiana and Notre Dame. Yeah. And that's it. You win You win at Notre Dame, no one's keeping you out. I don't care that Notre Dame's having a bad year or whatever. No one's, you can't keep them out of that 14 playoff. If you win at Indiana and Notre Dame, uh, you, you absolutely have, have a viable shot. This is the first time that we see a path to a team that isn't in the Power Five to go there. But they have to do that. Cincinnati basically has to have an undefeated season. But to get that undefeated season, that means you're going on the road against Indiana or Notre Dame. That will turn some heads. Let's not forget, this is a team that almost beat Georgia, right, Tommy, in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Day. And, and they return. They're loaded. I know they are missing a couple offensive linemen due to graduation, but uh, hopefully that was something that they, they were able to to fix. But I still think scoring-wise, they're going to be able to run the ball for scores, throw the ball for scores, and they're going to put up – I'm going to say they're going to put up 40 a game this year, right? I mean, how can you say they're not? The 40 of the game is nice. It, it's that 17 that you mentioned. Best running yeah. defense. I, I think you can make a solid argument that this is the best defense in the country. And when you can say that, and then you toss in 40, <laughs> you know, 40 on offense, Tim all of a sudden it starts to go, oh, this is a cute little team. So, wow, okay, this is a viable contender. <laughs> so we both have Cincinnati winning the AAC. Um, what, what are you necessarily looking at this year, just from a whole, as we, we close this out tonight, as we jump into the college football previews? Look, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, right, Notre Dame. I think they're all going to be there again, Tommy, but is there something that, you know, is it Oklahoma maybe that's going to sneak through this year? Is it a Cincinnati? Is it, is it a team like, is it a Georgia A&M? You know, what are we going to get this year? Are we just going to be talking about the same teams again this year? We're going to be talking about the same teams this year, Tim, but what we're going to be talking about this year, this is the year of the undefeated. Um, I think we can have upwards of four or five undefeated teams. I think that's a little, you know, uh, high in the sky, but I do think. I think Cincinnati goes undefeated this year, Tim. I think Coastal Carolina goes undefeated this year. I think there's a chance Oklahoma goes undefeated this year. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to say we could have four or five undefeated teams, but I do think that we're going to wind up ending the season with about three undefeated teams. We haven't seen that in a while. What we've seen is you know, turmoil and controversy and who gets in and whatnot. I think the four, uh, the idea that we're going to have four undefeated teams is very much alive, uh, but I'm going to see three of them, and here's the thing. It's very possible, Tim, that we have a situation where we have three undefeated teams and only one of them makes a college football playoff, which will just get people even more talking. But I think that this year is the year of the undefeated. Four, four spots, five teams. One's left out again. Is, is it the Big 12, Tom? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's the Big 12 this year. I think it's the Pac-12 this year. 
I don't think anyone is, is exceedingly strong there, strong enough to, to push them in. So I already have Alabama and Clemson locked in, right? Um, I, I have probably Oklahoma and let's just say Ohio State locked in, right? So there's your four, which means a team like Cincinnati and a team like Coastal Carolina, which will be undefeated, could be sitting on the outside looking in. And I do believe one of those conferences probably pushed through an undefeated team. But it'll just show the separation that we have in college football if that happens. And let's just say we have three undefeated teams and none of them make the college football playoff. What a disgrace. Yeah. Well, Tommy, talk about the podcast. What am I listening to tonight on my way home from work? Oh, yeah. Listen, I go pretty in-depth about the the NBA trades what's going on, the signings, and, and everything there. Uh, we, we have to really start getting into football as well. And the Carson Wentz idea that, look, Carson Wentz goes down, Tim, it has a ripple effect throughout the league because he's a quarterback for a contending team. So I think it's a, a massive, massive, massive injury, not only because it's Carson Wentz, just because of what people believe the Colts were going to be. So I'm going to get real depth in depth into that, and also rookie quarterbacks. Rookie quarterbacks are shooting up the ranks. You start to hear some buzz on guys like Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Listen to that on the podcast. It is wagering week. You guys can always write us over at uh, Sports Garden Network, G-A-R-T-E-N, over on Twitter, over on Facebook, it's hashtag S-G-N. And go check me out, guys. It's TomBartonSports.com. I got a push today. I, I can't stand the push, but okay, that's all right. But it's TomBartonSports.com, guys. Hitting just under 60% Major League Baseball for the season. Uh, hit two big time, plus 160 underdogs this week. Go check it out. It's TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tom. Good job, as always. We will talk tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN. The podcast, good stuff, man. I literally I have iTunes. It downloads for me and waiting every Saturday night for me to listen to on my drive home. So check that out. Wagering week on all your podcasting uh, formats, venues, wherever, wherever you go, listen to your podcast. Wagering week with Tom Barton. For Damon Cotton, for Tommy B. Tim Mungles, we have a great sp- Rest of your Saturday night. We'll talk to you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Heat Wave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.